0: Hello, and welcome to the Armin Show podcast, science, people, creativity, learning more, knowledge, expanding our thoughts, our minds. Subscribe if you haven't, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever it might be. Glad to have the support. On this one here, very cool, very interesting. Also author of this fine book. I always remember now to showcase uh, the book as much as possible. We have Professor Donald Hoffman. The book, The Case Against Reality, Why Evolution Hid the Truth, from our eyes. Donald is an American cognitive psychologist and popular science author. He's a professor in the Department of Cognitive Sciences at the University of California, Irvine, not way too far from here with joint appointments in the Department of Philosophy, the Department of Logic and Philosophy of Science and the School of Computer Science and covers consciousness, visual perception, evolutionary psychology and various topics.
1: Donald, welcome to the show. Thank you, Armin. Thank you. It's very kind of you to invite me. Very glad to have you on
0: and topics of much of my interest. I'm very irrational minded individual. And these are categories that I am thinking about at times and glad to talk about in full. Now, before we get into those topics, uh, you're currently at UC Irvine and a professor there. How did you get to where you currently are? Is there a certain path that led you to Irvine versus some other far off location?
1: Well, I'm I'm a professor emeritus now, so I've re, I've uh, retired recently, and uh, so so the things that you mentioned about me are, are now in some sense dated, uh, but but anyway, um, but so yeah, I I came to UC Irvine uh, in 1983, um, right out of graduate school. So I went to MIT and got my PhD at MIT, and uh, I I loved it there at MIT. It was a fantastic place. It was just too cold for me to so. So I um I I was I went to MIT supported by Hughes Aircraft Company, they they paid my way. I was a, a cold warrior, and um, I had worked for them writing um, software for for um, very various projects, uh, military projects um, that they they were working on. A lot of machine coding, uh, digital avionics information system, and so forth. I, I, I and a couple other guys wrote in the, a military microprocessor uh, machine code. And it was a complete flight simulator. So, so Hughes um, sent me. They paid my, my way to MIT. They paid the whole thing for me, and they they planned for me to come back um, and uh, work in there, or even perhaps head up their artificial intelligence laboratory in Malibu. And and I was planning to do that, but um, I also liked the the world of uh, academics and and being able to do my own free research on whatever I wanted and. And the further along I got in MIT, the, the more I was taken in by the possibility of doing my own research, even if it was less profitable, right? If it was, I was going to make a lot less money. And so, so I decided to, I only applied to three places uh, for grad. for, for um, you know, usually if you're going to try to become a professor, you, you, you have to go all out. and buck. But I, I, so I had the job at, at Hughes, but I thought, well, I'll try. And I, I got the, the, the job at, at, at um, University of California at Irvine. I only applied on the West Coast because I, I, I didn't want to be cold. <laughs> so so I, I got a couple offers, and, and but my family um, is is in this neighborhood of, of, of Irvine. And so I decided to come to Irvine because I would be um, close to, to my family. And so I was very lucky to be close to my brother and sister and my parents for, for several decades. Um Um, until my parents, my parents died. Uh, So, so that's sort of why I, 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 you know, I took a pay cut. I mean, I was actually um, making more money at Hughes with just a bachelor's degree than I made at UC Irvine with a PhD from MIT. So I, when I chose to come to Irvine, it was a choice to take a huge pay cut um and to walk away from a, a potentially fun job in the artificial intelligence lab at, at hughes malibu but i decided i really wanted the freedom to um, pursue the topics that i wanted to pursue i worked at hughes for several years so i knew that even though it was one of the more free thinking companies and it lot a lot of, of interesting research nevertheless i wasn't picking the research it was higher ups that were telling you what you were going to research and i decided after you know really having several years of, of fun doing research at MIT that I really had ideas I wanted to pursue and so I decided to pursue them and take a pay cut. So that's why I ended up at UCI.
0: There's a great message there of it may be more that you were given, but the thing or things that you would value the most and look back on the matter later on, your own agency of sorts were not as fully fulfilled there. And so you took a step backward in that category. Mm-hmm. But actually, a step forward in the category that would be fulfilling. Would you say it's the right decision that you would made?
1: I have no regrets that I walked away from the money. Um, it, I, I've had a, a chance to really pursue the uh, the ideas that I wanted to pursue, and they led me in places that I never expected them to lead me. So it's it's been a lot of fun. I, I'm sure I would have had a good life at, at Hughes, but but I would have been doing the. the the problems that they wanted. And I got to choose the, my problems. So it's 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 there's no right or wrong. It's a matter of, you know, personality and what you want. That's a great
0: point here. This is like a, a life path point there. I'm very on the category that you have chosen, because I always say when I go to sleep at night, it's just me. And so all the extra items or details that are added on, they're great, but I'm not gonna take them with me into my dreams or my thoughts or my morning wake up or all those things. There's gonna be my I wanted to try this or If you have an expansive worldview and somebody else is not as interested in that they're fine without it but you'd be over here like struggling while they're fine so it's up to us to protect our worldview or else um no one else will notice but us when it's time to go to sleep at night
1: yeah i mean uh in some sense the story of your life is just a story it's and it's not who you really are and really what you really are is just your consciousness and and the quality of that consciousness, and 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 so, you know, making choices that always are in the, in the best interest of of the quality of your consciousness, and and doing the things that you love, um, as long as your motivations are in the right direction, right? If I'm doing what I love so I can become famous and so forth, that's a different thing. But if you're doing what you love because you just you just find it fascinating, and and maybe you can contribute, that that that's pretty healthy, and that's a good place to be.
0: I'm with that one right there.
1: And actually on the point of
0: consciousness, which is a big category that is looked at, that's one big element that you look at and study. Do we in this category? Do we? Does consciousness direct us? Are we directing it? What's the? What could be a, a healthy way for us to look at what consciousness is? Can we solve it in some form? what are your thoughts?
1: That's a great question. And let me answer it first by saying what most of my colleagues in the cognitive neurosciences would say the ones who are actually experts in studying consciousness. So, so the, the standard view in my field, and, and these are my colleagues and good friends in many cases, um, is is a physicalist framework in which space time is fundamental. elementary particles are fundamental. And those elementary particles over eons of evolution have assembled themselves into complex systems like brains and neurons and so forth. Or, or, or other complex biological systems that that um, have somehow recently in evolution um, managed to somehow have the light of consciousness turn on whatever that might mean so so consciousness is not fundamental it's it's a relative newcomer spacetime and particles are fundamental in this point of view and of course so my brilliant colleagues are then working on trying to get scientific theories about exactly how physical systems like brains or or AI systems could possibly boot up conscious experiences. And and so that's, I would say 99% of my colleagues are in that kind of camp um, or, or panpsychists, which are very, very similar in the sense that they take space, time and particles fundamental, um, but they say that the fundamental particles have consciousness from the get-go. So it, it's, in some sense, that version of panpsychism is, is, is a dualist, right? It, you, there are physical particles, but they also have consciousness as as a property. So that, those are the, the sort of the standard uh, approaches. And, and my attitude is that uh, I think all of those approaches are doomed by the implications of our best scientific theories. So our best scientific theories, you know, uh, Einstein's theory of gravity together with quantum field theory. So that pair of theories entail that space-time is doomed and I can mention why, but but space-time cannot be fundamental. What we call elementary particles cannot be the fundamental nature of reality. And so any attempts by my colleagues to start with objects in space-time as the fundamental reality and booting booting up consciousness from that is really not coming to with what our best science is saying. That's, again, the case of quantum field theory and gravity together. But it's also true, and this is the the little contribution that I and my team have been working on, is that evolution by natural selection says the same thing that the physicists are finding. That, That evolution says the probability is zero that space, time, and objects are the nature of fundamental reality. Precisely zero. And so instead space time and, and objects are uh, from the evolutionary point of view more would be more like a user interface that that allows you to um, act adaptively without knowing what the reality is that you're interacting with so it's 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 almost like in the case of evolution the story that comes out is no we our senses did not evolve to see reality as it is they evolved to hide reality but give us a, a useful user interface that lets you. Act adaptively, even though you don't know what it is exactly in the real world that you're changing and you don't need to know if you're playing a video game, you don't need to know about the circuits and software to play the game successfully. And that's what evolution says. It says that to play the game of life successfully, you don't need to know reality, you just have to have a good user interface. So when our best theories tell us that space time is doomed, and that's, by the way, a quote from several physicists. I mean, so Ed Witten. Nima Arkani Hamed, Nathan Seiberg, and several of the world-famous um, physicists have all said exactly that phrase, that, you know, space-time is doomed or spacetime is not fundamental, that, that kind of phrase. And evolution by natural selection agrees. And so, so my attitude is, I'm not saying that those theories are right. But what I am saying is that they are the best theories that science has to offer so far. And so as scientists, we have to take them quite seriously and say, this is what our best scientific theories are telling us space time is not fundamental okay and and the theories don't tell us what's beyond space time they just say it's not fundamental but of course the theories they can only tell you where they stop they can only tell you their limits they can't tell you what's what's beyond so that's the fun part for us as scientists we we get to take creative leaps which you know you can do whatever you want to to get your ideas but eventually they have to be made precise and then you have to you know bring them back down to the world and make predictions that can be tested so so and that's that's being done. So my attitude right now is that space time isn't fundamental. That notion that consciousness is a latecomer um, in in a space time evolution can't be right because space time evolution itself is not fundamental. So so I'm playing and, and I don't know what the right answer is. I'll be upfront about that. But as a scientist, I have to make a bold proposal and then see where I can go with it. So I'm I'm proposing a model. In which consciousness itself is fundamental. So you are fundamentally, fundamentally conscious. Uh, and, and, and space and time in your body are simply user interface symbols that that, that you create. And so they there. So it turns things around instead of saying that um, you're a physical body that somehow has booted up consciousness, I'm saying that you're a consciousness that somehow has a user interface that includes what you call a physical body. So, so but the the, the proof of the pudding then is well, okay, how can I start with a theory that's mathematically precise about consciousness? So that's the first thing, make it mathematically precise. And then you have to boot up space time, you have to show how space time and quantum field theory, and evolution by natural selection, uh, arise perhaps as um, an artifact of projections, of a deep theory of consciousness. So you might have a theory of consciousness, um, um, in what I call a theory of conscious agents, where you have a dynamics, and the dynamics itself, um, th- there may not be notions of limited resources or competition. It may all be friendly and, and no limited resources. But when you take any projection of it, then you get... Um, Limited resources appearing, and therefore evolution by natural selection, and space-time appearing. So that's the kind of thing that we're going to have to do. Is right. So when, when I say consciousness is not fundamental, it's not like a, a kumbaya moment where we're just going to say that and 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 not try to do the hard work. the, the hard work is ahead to say, uh, okay, consciousness is fundamental give me a mathematical model of it, show me exactly how quantum field theory arises in, in evolution by natural selection, and show why those theories arise as special cases of this more general theory of, of consciousness. So that's, that's the, the task ahead. And, and uh, so it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: A few things came to mind there. One of them is in someone uh, reordering, if you will. And it reminded me, do you know Lee Cronin from University of Glasgow?
1: Or I know, of them, but I don't know him personally. Right? Fair. Uh, I I'd spoken to my
0: Edmont before on the show and I, I noticed some parallels between your descriptions and uh, you made me think of how it's kind of like a reordering. He has an assembly theory for chemistry of how this led to this led to this and uh, ordering the steps. And the way you're describing it is a reordering from the normal form. So what would you say would be the steps all the way up to us, including consciousness and space time and the elements? What would the order be?
1: Right. So the very notion of a temporal order is a very interesting one, right? So so it, it turns out, and the dynamics of conscious agents that I'm working on with my colleagues, in in, in particular Jeton Prakash, Manu Singh, Chris Fields, Robert Prentner and and, and others, um, the dynamics of conscious agents is Markovian that we're looking at. And uh, we we could imagine a stationary dynamic. So stationary dynamics is one in which the entropy of the dynamics does not increase it's constant and in that case there is no entropic time so this would be a model of consciousness in which there is no time in the sense of of increasing entropy there's no arrow of time but it's it's a theorem it's a trivial theorem to prove that if you take a projection of this timeless con this timeless dynamics entropic timeless dynamics um, you take a projection by conditional probability. Uh, then you will induce an arrow of time. Uh, the condition, you, so you have this Markov chain, it has no change in entropy, but when you look at it from pers- conditioning, you take a perspective on it, all of a sudden from that perspective, that dynamical system looks to have increasing entropy. So, so in, in other words, we may have Everything from the Big Bang to all of evolution, natural selection, all the way up to now, is an artifact of a projection. It's not deeply true, and and so to show that would be would be a stunning step forward for science to show that there's this dynamical system in which there is no arrow of time. But when you just take a projection of it, you get space and time are emerging as an artifact, and as a result, then you get the notion of limited resources, and then what what is a non-competitive Dynamical system from that perspective of projection gives you time and competition and evolution, red and tooth and claw and the whole bit. So that would be a, a, a truly uh, interesting next step. And so that's that's one of my goals is to is to show that we, we know of course that the that the projection of a stationary Markov chain does induce an entropic time. So that that part's proven. That that so the the the, the interesting thing is to now look at what that means more generally. You know, can we get the evolution of a natural selection? Can we get quantum field theory? Where time is a fundamental property of the of of, of quantum field theory, right? So you have to have I mean the the, the fields are functions of space as they evolve in time. <laughs> and and so so you have to have that time. But but if time itself is not fundamental then quantum field theory of course can't be fundamental and and so we have to show where that arrow of time is coming from so so that's the level where we when we go beyond space time it's it's fun because you have to really how do you think about things out of time right that's really hard for the mind to do
0: (laughs) this is a valid point that's true it goes into the it's like when uh, people's dynamics are described there's a doing a being or having and a doing would be the of the time being is just that is and there's a, it's encapsulated. The doing is the one that it has to progress. And that's something that has to include time. If time is not there, suddenly it's uh it exists, it is as it was completely different in a way.
1: Yeah, I, yes. what? Yeah, I, I would say that's interesting from evolutionary point of view, right? And space time is fundamental. Doing is, is where it's at, right? You, you got to do and do quickly to stay ahead of the competition. But, but if that kind of competitive framework, which is, by the way, very successful, uh, uh, evolution with natural selection is an incredibly successful theory. I, I've published some papers myself using evolutionary psychology to make new predictions, not just, you know, just-so stories about the past, but new predictions that we can go test in the lab today about, for example, features of the human face that will enhance attractiveness. And the evolutionary hypotheses have been spectacularly successful. In, in making predictions that we can go test and, and say yes i mean th- this really works uh, so so i'm not in any way putting down evolutionary theory or evolutionary psychology i think they're incredible tools but no scientific theory is the final word including mine whatever i come up with will not be the final word it'll just be the next baby step in in our exploration and, and that's what every scientific theory will always be is the next baby step so so we honor our current baby step <laughs> And we, we trade it with respect, and we study it, and then we try to move beyond it. And so so right now, we're moving beyond uh, space-time, and to consciousness, presumably, presumably, I'd love to see when my theories get moved beyond, and we get to something even deeper than that. But but from from that point of view, yeah, um, space-time isn't fundamental, and we'll, we'll see where it goes.
0: <laughs> One strong point you bring up that I am very fond of. And you just reminded me when you said the facial attractiveness, like sometimes the one-to-one ratio or like how the jaw developed or things like that we identify with, uh, as that is a strong feature of fitness, but we don't need to know the underlying reality behind it. That, that concept of connecting that we've always been based towards fitness or reproduction versus the reality underneath it is in everything that we do. And it almost seems like the more things are hidden underneath The better it works for all of whatever our society is. That point is such a strong one connecting with the other message. So I I like that combination there. Can you speak on that towards uh, fitness and versus reality needing to be perceived?
1: So from the point of view of evolution with natural selection, most of my colleagues would say, Look, to be more fit, your senses need to show you truths about reality right clearly in the competition for life the the organisms that see reality more accurately will have a competitive advantage over those who see reality less accurately and will therefore be more likely to pass on their genes which which code for the more accurate perceptions and so from that kind of logic you just say well it's it's a slam dunk evolution by natural selection will will not of course let you see all the truth but it will let you. It, it will shape you to see those aspects of reality truly that you need to survive. And you know, anybody, you know, almost anybody in the field would say, "Yeah, of course." I mean, that, that's that, that obvious. Well, I decided with my some of my graduate students, Justin Mark and Brian Marion, and then later on with uh, um, Chaitan Prakash and Manish Singh and Chris, field, Chris Fields and Robert Prentner to look at this in, in more detail. And basically, what we're finding is that when you do the math or run the, the genetic algorithm simulations, uh, what you find is that um, organisms that see the truth, um, they're hunting the wrong dog. You, you have to hunt fitness, not truth. And th- they're not the same thing. And so if you waste your time hunting the truth, um, and instead of hunting for the fitness payoffs, which in general are, are um, not homomorphisms of the structure of truth. So whatever the truth might be, um, fitness payoffs typically don't preserve the structure of truth. I mean, in fact, when I say typically, the probability is zero that that fitness payoffs even have information about the structure of the world. So, so if you're hunting, if your senses are showing you the truth, when the fitness payoffs are not even homomorphisms of the truth, good luck. I mean, <laughs> so so so. Right. What we find is that, and, and I, you know, I've had some some good colleagues who who tried to take us on. Some some brilliant researchers, um, actually friends, some friends of my own team at, at Yale, who have been trying to look at the case where if you have like twenty thousand fitness payoff functions, maybe in that case they they, they and under certain restricted conditions you can you can get um, organisms or strategies that that perceive the truth to win over ones that 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 um, are just tuned to the fitness. But there, of course, the idea is that there's there's no fitness to be tuned to. There's twenty thousand different fit, fitness payoff functions, so. So, so what what we found though is that look, if you if you allow a strategy in which these fitness payoffs can be organized by sensory systems into uh, hierarchical clusters, so that you get fitness payoff functions that are similar, and and you do uh, you know data structure reduction, simplifying, so you make what we would call objects out of out of these um, fitness payoff functions that are that are similar. And when we allow them to do that, then once again, the, the creatures that the, the, that way you can actually use the fitness payoff, you don't have to, like, ignore the fitness payoffs, and then you actually win over a creature that sees the truth. So, so the bottom line is when you take evolutionary theory seriously, fitness payoffs almost surely have no information about the structure of reality. And, and so our senses almost surely can't be tuned to the structure of reality. And the, the only, the, the, the best attempts I've seen so far, and I, and I welcome, I mean, we, I'm making a, I am making ai and my team are making really broad claims here. So, of course, people need to look at this, you know, very, very carefully and see, is this what evolutionary theory entails? But, but the best attempts right now have, have been basically of the kind that, well, if you throw thousands and thousands of payoffs, so that effectively the payoffs don't matter anymore, then then, then truth will win. But that, you know, that really runs against the spirit of evolutionary theory anyway, in which, we, well, we make the distinction between payoffs and reality. If we didn't need the payoffs, why don't we, why don't we just, just, you know, let's just talk about reality. <laughs> so, so, so that's sort of the, the, the way the game is being played there. And we'll, we'll see how it, how it, how it pans out. But I, I would say, you know, in the, just in respect to the uh, previous question yes, in the case of evolution, it's about doing, but if consciousness is fundamental, it may be more about being right? The, the doing is what you have to do to play the game. But in some sense, you know, if you put on a headset and you jump into Grand Theft Auto and you're playing the game, um, you can get lost in the game. You, you could completely get immersed in the game and fill your body in the car and, and I mean, just really forget who you are for a while. Um, but then while you're playing the game, you could wake up and go, oh, well, you know, uh, I don't have to be re- really afraid about crashes and so forth. I mean, if I crash, I mean, this is just a video game. I, my consciousness is, in some sense, the whole game is in my consciousness, right? I'm wearing a headset. All it's doing is spraying photons to my eyes. The whole world I'm seeing is something I'm creating. It's not out there. I mean, there are, I'm seeing a, you know, a red Mustang. There is no red Mustang, right? It's only there when I look when I turn my headset the right direction. So I'm creating it right on the fly. So the red Mustang is, is in my head. I'm, I, I'm not in the car. The car is in my consciousness. And so, so so, what I'm suggesting is that if space-time is doomed, as the physicists are telling us, and as evolution tells us, and if consciousness is fundamental, then everything's turned around. We're in a game, and we get lost in the game. And in some sense, uh, consciousness, maybe, maybe that's what consciousness is about. It's, it's, it's um, trying out different things and learning about itself in, in the process. Um, but but it's maybe not so much about doing, but about being. You know, learning about about yourself, as opposed to what we think it's about, which is you know getting status and a big house and a big car and so forth. All of all of which we walk away from, uh, perhaps not willingly, but when we go to the grave. And and so you know, there's the, the things that we tend to spend our lives for are things that we know we're going to walk away from, and and yet we fight all of our lives to get those things. And and so that kind of doing maybe like someone who's in a video game that that um, doesn't realize that they're in a game and they're just addicted to the game and taking it way too seriously.
0: I have fully thought about this concept in detail and I'm highly in relation to that. Uh, there's something about doing that there's a, we'll call it a fun factor to it, but I've always thought to myself that being can't be competed with. It's almost like being is the whole thing and doing is like this frantic, like running wheel next to it. Mm-hmm. And being can look at doing like, all right, cool. You're kind of there's momentum building and whatnot. But it's not like the light, my good, my good old light over here. Of uh, it's it's like uncompetable with, and that relates with this concept. It's like frantic. The doing is like a frantic or auxiliary, in my view.
1: I've right and that's that's a, a very deep divide i mean between the two approaches right it's if you know, space-time is fundamental and we're tiny little objects in a vast spacetime it in some sense in that point of and, and consciousness is not fundamental consciousness is this you know weird thing that just happened to evolve and you know it'll be extinct when you die you, you extinguish then in in that framework then then yeah how, how are you going to have some notion of significance well you could I mean some of my colleagues would say well your significance is in the very brevity of your life so that makes life itself so valuable because it's it's so brief I mean and you can try to build something you know a, a philosophy of, of significance out of that what most people in fact try to do is like write books do things that make them famous be remembered and so forth and I think that Woody Allen said something like, I don't want to be um, immortal by, um, by my movies or something like that. I just want to be you know, immortal by not dying, right? <laughs> so so I, that's not, I didn't get this quote quite right. I mean, he said it far more uh, elegantly than that. But, but the idea for most of us is that we, we try to get some kind of immortality by, by be, being remembered. And, but, um, but if being is fundamental... And our appearance in space time is is merely a, a headset that we're wearing and you know once we step out that's you know, our, if our consciousness continues, well then 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 the doing is secondary it really is the being that's that's the critical thing because eventually you're going to take that headset off and everything that you did is gone. so so it's in some sense maybe it's what you learned from the doing. it's not it's not the mansions you built and the books you wrote and 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 the stuff that ultimately survives because it doesn't the space-time itself won't survive so nothing inside space-time will survive so so once we understand that we, there, there's no notion of immortality from from a physicalist point of view but the from if consciousness is fundamental and space-time is just a headset then well even though that space-time um is not a final reality what you learn by trying on that reality is you learn something about yourself and, and that, that perhaps is what is preserved. And consciousness is then about learning about itself. Interesting idea. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying this is the kind of idea that we would want to explore. So, so I'm, I'm not doctrinaire about anything I'm saying here. I'm, I'm saying we need to think freely and then put this stuff in mathematics and test it out. So, so I'm not taking anything that I say here for granted. We got to do the math. and and get the proofs and get the experiments. And and that doesn't mean that will be the final word. It just means that maybe we'll have the next big baby step.
0: (laughs) Little items there. Two things came to my mind there. One, when you said that the the it seems like the doing that is most functional is the doing that is impactful enough that it adds to your being such that you're now taking it with your being because the other the rest of it is just like a engine kind of yeah. running like a motor. But if it actually impacts your being, now you're taking it with you as a walking being. And then the other thing that you mentioned about, right. um, presence versus the past, I think about it, like if someone was there, that would be the full form. And then if you looked at pictures of them, you would remember those times or such, not uh, whatnot, but it would be like one, 1,000th of the actual presence it's not even close if they were compared in some way. So that moment that you have, that actually is, is the heft, and then the other, it's like, all these are in the auxiliary category in a way.
1: Yes. And, and, and this is, um, you know, some people might think well, this is high fluid philosophy, and this is no practical value. But, but if it's really the case, that our thinking, which is an activity, in consciousness, but not the foundation of consciousness. It's just an activity in consciousness. The being itself is more fundamental. And the intelligence of that being, if we think about it in terms of, of Gödel's incompleteness theorem, right? The, the, the thinking is, in some sense, you can can be placed in a formal system. But formal systems, you know, from, you know, from Gödel are, are never complete in, in the sense that that you can always find new statements that are true, but can't be reached from within that formal system. But if being is not a formal system, if it's the ground from which formal systems like conceptual systems and thought come out of, then this makes it, if that's, if that's true, then as scientists, we would want to step out of thought on purpose to go to being, which would be this much deeper intelligence. And that's where all the big, insights come from and then take those insights and then project them back down into the tiny little conceptual systems that we have so so it's a different way of thinking about things right from from a in a framework in which consciousness is fundamental is not fundamental and and just our conceptual systems are what we have our thinking systems then then thought is it and and you better think very very but but and, and there is, of course, um, as Kahneman and others have talked about, systems one and two, so there's the discursive thought, but then there's the, the deeper... But, but that deeper thought that, that's not consciously accessible to you, that, that gives you good intuitions and insights, would still be a computational process you know, implemented in neurons that you're just not you know aware of, of the computation. But this other thing I'm talking about is, is even deeper than that. It, it's saying, if consciousness is fundamental and being is fundamental, and we take Gödel's Incompleteness Theorem as an indication that this being uh, transcends any conceptual system, I mean, far transcends it, right? Like any conceptual system is literally scratching the surface, at, at best, of this much deeper intelligence. If that's the case, and that intelligence is what we are, then it, then you know, scientists, and as people in, in general, we would want to spend time in silence, dipping into that being, um, just because, you know, number one, is who we are, but number two, it's his incredible intelligence, and 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 as we'll get our ideas, and I think the, many of the best scientists, for example, probably musicians and artists and so forth, whether they're aware of it or not, dip into the this this silence, this interior silence, and and get great insights that they didn't pull back. Einstein was explicit about it. I mean, he he actually said that his insights didn't come like just from mathematics; that he was actually Thinking in pictures and 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 even beyond that, but it took him a long time to get his insights and to wrestle them into mathematics. So 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 he seemed to be uh, in touch with a, a deeper level of of intelligence beyond mere concepts and, and mathematics. And and so so again, I'm not saying that I'm right about this. I'm just saying I'm putting out that that the two frameworks have very very different implications. Right, uh, one's we'll have, there could be system one and system two, but they're all computational systems. The other, that, that, that's the space-time is fundamental. The, the one in which consciousness is fundamental and being in, in the Girdle's based on Girdle's incompleteness theorem, being could infinitely transcend any conceptual systems that we have. Um, then that's a very different thing. Uh, that's where the real intelligence is, and that's where all the progress has been made in science, art, literature, any any creative thing has come from being and um, been projected into the conceptual system. So that's a different way of thinking about things that, that um, is is interesting. We'll see if that pans out. It's
0: like, a person could think of it like a different kind of base than we had normally thought of underneath our subconscious and our conscious processing and everything we do in our prefrontal cortex is this is underneath, and it flows out to what we do. What we do is just like a little a little bit on top that's uh, like a user interface, like a computer. You have your assembly code in the background, or you have whatever it is, and then, no, we got to hide the text, and whatever that is. That's what uh, Microsoft did a long time ago, or whatever companies, and then we see this wonderful imagery on top, but that's like steps, steps later. Yeah. Very impactful in a way. I have to say, for my existence, it it highly matches up with this end, because I've always seen the other end uh, not being full, whereas this end, this matches up more with what I can get with mentally. So that doesn't obviously change it, but or prove it more. But I lean towards it.
1: Yeah, it doesn't prove it. But but it is what if you actually do spend time where you literally let go of all thoughts and see what happens it, 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 it's truly stunning. I mean, you, you, the world in some sense lights up and becomes alive and, and you, and you realize that there's this, it, it's not just a different gear, it's just beyond a different gear that, that, that you, that you tune into when you let go of thought. And, and so, but it's very hard. I mean, for us to let go of thought to me, the, the, the talker in the head goes on and on and on in, in, incessantly so so letting you know not fighting it but letting it go is, is not not easy but what but when you do let go you realize there's a whole new dimension to yourself that that is in some sense just covered up by the incessant thinking it's 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 almost like clouds that are covering up the sun or something the sun is there but the clouds are covering it up at
0: times when i have done which is not so common you're right the thought process pervades and it's just continuous in a form but the few times i've done this for some period or five minutes or an hour at most or let's say an hour and a half i can still remember those times clearly and they were full of nothing whereas the times full of items i don't want to say nothing but the times full of what we would call items and activity you know they pass by they're not as memorable that little block you might remember it six months later but it was nothing so they can't be nothing this is another thing that can't have done nothing because why would it be recalled? It would be forgotten immediately.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. And the, the sense is often that, it's, wow, that now that I've let go of thought, I'm actually in tune with something really deep. That's, that's really closer to the true who, whatever I am and all the thoughts and the stuff that I've been obsessed with and, 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 you know, worried about accomplishing this and being known for that and so forth. You realize, well, th- these are all, that's just stories. These are just, and I, I can just literally let go of the story. And when I let go of the story that I thought was me, I don't disappear. The, 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 I mean, so here, here's me without the story, and and I know that that story is going to drop anyway. I mean, none of us are going to make it out of here alive. So the, the story is going to, I'm going to drop that whole story, but it turns out if I just drop it now, um, I don't disappear, which is pretty interesting.
0: It gives a great sense of for, let's say, in practical elements, it gives a great sense of agency comes with the understanding, oh, okay, I can rewrite this. I am imparting upon the reality that I'm taking in. And then it makes you feel that it's you versus whatever was compelled upon you. Suddenly your personhood is the, it's like that's what your being was for versus, you're kind of in someone else's little box of sorts which is not doesn't feel like what was the point of being created to be in a alternate person's box of sorts kind of like the company i described
1: earlier right yeah from this point of view i agree that you know, in some sense the being is endlessly deep the, if, if, from that point of view i mean again from the physicalist point of view no right you thought is as deep as as you're going to get, thought and emotion, and so forth. That's as deep as you're going to go with with with, with who you are, and so forth. And, and understanding the physical chemistry of the brain and the circuitry, and so forth. That mean that's that's going to be the, the total story. But from this other point of view, um, no, uh, being goes infinitely deep. I mean, this is, again, this the the girdle kind of thing I'm thinking about. and That is that that formal systems. Um, there will always be tr- always be truths that the formal systems can't can't reach but but are true and that so there's going to be no end to our exploration and and but there'll always be the limits of our conceptual exploration. So this is this is, our conceptual systems and our, our scientific theories will always scratch the surface. So this is this is good news for science. It means that there's infinite job security in science. There, there'll never be a theory of everything it's it, but in a sense it's bad news for science because it means as 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 fun as our theories will be, as much as we'll learn, um, we will always infinitely transcend that and but but if again if if we are this being then we won't know it conceptually, but we'll know it by being it and but we but we won't know conceptually who we are. so it's going to be a situation where, I, I realize that that no concept I can have of myself is going to be adequate. Nevertheless, it's useful to to put on headsets and try different virtual realities out and learn more about the possibilities of consciousness, and, and then realize, I guess, maybe what, what you realize in every case is um, that's within my capacity, but I'm not that. I transcend even that. So so in the case of our universe, right? Look, it's, it's an incredible universe. It's billions of light years across. Trillions of stars, hundreds of billions of galaxies—absolutely impressive—and it's just my headset. So, so if if consciousness is fundamental, you know, with consciousness learning, look at this amazing, truly over-the-top headset, and I'm waking up to realizing that I'm not even that—that—that's that's that's plaything. I'm I'm beyond that. So that's a, a very, very different point of view than being trapped in a, a universe or even a multiverse to having the universes or the multiverses being just among some of the playthings that being is using to to explore its potential.
0: I very much also like the perspective. and I, I had noticed, I had checked other, when you had one time spoken about um, how different animals or whatnot are like, putting on, or an amoeba, putting on a different headset of their own. That's just a different uh, mode to take things in, test it out in a way, kind of experimentation or analysis or understanding of self. There's
1: endless possibilities for different headsets. Space time is just one of of countless. We let our imaginations run wild.
0: That's funny. Now, I'm very with it, by the way. There's the concept and there's also the Practical element that is very applicable. I think if, if someone were to take some of these things in uh, for their a- applicability, I think it's very it related. To, I always think I go back to like personality traits and think it would bring like uh, self-esteem, a sense of ability or agency. Um, Longer term view would come with some of that. There's a few things that would that it would immediately like bring a shift in I think a person's being if it was able to be internalized. I would say now. One thing that comes to mind is another individual I've spoken with was at Warwick Business School, Nick Chater. He's a professor of behavioral science. Yes, and he wrote, um "The mind is flat," and uh, some of your material made me think of that. Would you describe our minds as flat items, kind of like a on the surface area of what is how, like are our minds, no further than just what they are, there's not something uh, beyond them? Or would you be oppositional to his, the mind is flat view? Uh,
1: Well, it depends on how we define the word mind. So uh, sometimes it's used to, to talk about being the whole being, and sometimes it's used to only refer to the discursive mind, the, the conceptual mind. Right? So how, how would you like to talk about but it?
0: I would like to look at it in, he was looking at it in terms of the our processing and what we think of as the active mind is not doing something beyond that, that if it was sliced into slices, like with the fMRI or looked at, it's just uh, almost mechanical in a way. And uh, gets the job done. Right. of like that.
1: So, so right. So the mind, in, in that sense, which is, again, I think, a standard view among my, my colleagues in the cognitive neuroscience, right, is that um, um, your, your mind is what the brain does. Right. And and so, and and eventually, once we understand how to, to understand that and de- decode it, we should be able to um, uh Download your mind as as the functional software that that's uh, effectively implemented in your in your neural hardware, and 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 maybe install it on on computers and so forth, and, and give you some kind of immortality. So so mind in that sense, um. Well, it, it may be that um, the story mind the the stories yeah that that's that. That isn't very very deep, and 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 yeah, it's is computable, um, it's, it's, it's computable, and 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 so forth. But what we may find is that that, as powerful as it is, and and I don't deny that it'll be be very very powerful, um, is is missing out a whole layer of of, of us beyond beyond what's what's computable. I mean, Gödel's in I mean, I think Godel's incompleteness theorem is is pointing. something here that that you computable systems you know formal systems formal conceptual systems that are is that are powerful enough to do arithmetic will be incomplete and and there will be truths that 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 cannot be reached from those conceptual systems and as you add those new truths to your conceptual system as as axioms that then new truths appear that that can't be proven even with and, and so this is completely endless and so so i take the, the, that implication of girdles theory theorem pretty seriously it it really it, it tells us on the one hand that that um all of our scientific theories which are mathematical can never be the theory of everything they'll, they'll always be the theory of, of everything except the assumptions we make right so we'll have every theory has to have assumptions and and those assumptions are in fact the things that we're saying our theory can't explain this. That's what we call them assumptions. And every theory, there's no theory that doesn't have assumptions. And, and when you then try to unpack those assumptions with a deeper theory, that deeper theory has its own new assumptions. And so this is where I, I mentioned we have the, the job security, infinite job security of science. We'll always have deeper and deeper assumptions. And and so that, that so the, the mind isn't flat in that sense, that that um, it, there's no end to the depths of the conceptual systems that, that you could explore and 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 maybe consciousness is up to exploring all of them but that's an endless exploration in principle according to girdle and so so conscience is just having fun um saying well oh, look at this well i transcend that Well, now let's go out here i transcend that and and so you, you're just so consciousness is always waking up to itself by knowing what it's not um then there may be a deeper point of view even for, for being. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't have it right now. So so I'm just putting that out. And I absolutely don't want anything I'm s- saying to limit people's creative ideas and stretch. I'm I just I'm hoping to stimulate them and, and don't take what I'm saying as the final word, but as, as just a, a goad to think more out of the box. We need to think more out of the box, not less out of the box.
0: <clears throat> I am with that philosophy. There was... Two of your um, theories or description I wanted to go into or just describe how would you describe them? One is multimodal user interface. Is that the user interface theory we have discussed? How would you describe it? That is that it's
1: one. the same. Yeah, I, I th- that was too much of a mouthful. So I just called it the interface theory perception, ITP. And and, and that seemed to, to catch on a little bit better. So ITP instead of the multimodal use. That, <clears throat> that was my first try and it, and it wasn't very good sales. <clears throat>
0: It's funny. Sometimes the way it's sent out and then we, but it's the same concept. It's the same concept. It's a funny thing.
1: Yeah.
0: That actually reminds me of something. This is unrelated. I was going to, uh, I'll come back to conscious realism. But one thing I, I think about sometimes is do you ever think about the concept that we are, each of us is a connected interlinkage of past individuals like us, like philosophers from a past time linking to the current philosophers, maybe, um, warriors of a pastime connecting we're like uh, handing a baton to the next and it's basically a co- continued conversation uh-huh. what comes, comes up about that concept
1: well i i think that that's a very interesting concept we see that in literature and in and in the sciences for example that um we we get to listen to marcus aurelius and his thoughts the, the roman emperor 2000 years ago right um roughly not not exactly. But roughly two thousand years ago. So I, you know, we can read his meditations and 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 see what he was thinking while he was out there battling whoever he was battling, right? All the, th- and but he has some very very deep thoughts of, about being present and not being just trapped in your conceptual system. And 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 so it was, it was very very interesting. Um, <clears throat> we get to listen to Plato. I mean, some people say all of philosophy is just a footnote to Plato. We're in some very very deep concept there. So, and in, in the sciences, science is one big extended conversation, but with, with specific rules, right? You, the conversation is done through the journals, also in, 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 in workshops, and, and conferences, and so forth, and, and in your lab, but, but ultimately, the big, the big, the big conversation that, that persists, is in the journals, and, and now some videos and lectures that, that people give. And so, and in science, right, in any good conversation, it's polite when you join the conversation to be quiet for a while <clears throat> and <clears throat> listen and to make sure that you have a, a good understanding of the conversation and what people are thinking before you jump in. <clears throat> you don't want to just be pulling the conversation back to stuff that they, they talked about a long time ago. And or, so, so that's what we call graduate school. <laughs> So in in graduate school, you, you find out about the conversation, and and you 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 learn, and you only learn a little bit of the conversation. Maybe it's in physical chemistry, or or quantum information theory, or or something like that. So you you the conversation is so big that it takes you four or five years of graduate school or longer ju- just to to understand that little bit of the conversation that we call science, and and then with great effort to make your own new contribution and it takes you several years and and once you've done that then you have the you know, you can then join the conversation you can publish and, and so forth and so it's it's a. a I think of science as, as a very high level conversation that's going on with with with, with strict rules um and some of the, i guess they're sort of written rules you you, you got to be published to be taken seriously <laughs> Um, and to be published, you've got to be peer reviewed and it's got to be you know rigorous. You've got to have the data or the, the theorems and proofs, whatever it might be in, in your field. So so it's a very, it's taking human conversation to a very, very high level. And that's one reason for why science has been so successful. So even though I've said that there will be no theory of everything in science, I, I think that the scientific method is, is incredibly beautiful. And the, the kind of conversation going on in science is, is, incredibly beautiful. And I would love to see that kind of thing also go on in spirituality, in, in spiritual traditions, um, where where there isn't this kind of peer review and, and progress and, and and so forth. Where I, but I think that, that the scientific I approach to the conversation, where it's not dogmatic, individual scientists are, of course, dogmatic, but science as a social institution is not dogmatic, the conversation um, eventually weeds out. The, the dogmatic views and, and uh, you know, they're, they're left behind. Um, they, they may flourish for a decade or two or, or, you know, like physicalism, physicalism, you know, this idea that space time is fundamental has been a fundamental and powerful and useful part of the science conversation for for many decades, even uh, not the space time of Einstein, but before that space and time and Newton for several centuries. Um, so it's been a, an incredibly useful framework. And Reductionism, which is the methodology that natural, a methodology that comes out of that, has been an incredibly useful methodology. But but now our best theories and, and some of our leading scientists are saying space time is doomed. So even though the conversation was based on space time for, for centuries, it the science conversation itself can let go of one of a, of a main thread, you know, the space time thread not in the sense that we say that it's no longer useful. Newton is useful, right? We use Newton um, to send rockets to planets. So it, it's, it's not, even though Newton is not useful as a theory of everything, um, it's very, very useful. And so we still use Newton and we'll still use space-time and quantum field theory and, and Einstein's, we'll, we'll still use all that stuff even when we have our new deeper theory. So so that that thread will still be there and it'll still be useful, but um, it, it won't be taken as the state-of-the-art um, framework, because probably the new theory will have an entirely new conceptual system beyond space-time. The, the very notion of space and time won't be fundamental. And so there'll be a completely new conceptual thread that, that takes off there. So it's a conversation, but it's, 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 it's as you can see, it's a conversation that is like normal human conversations, but, but taken to a, a very elevated level. Um, and, and I think that's very, very useful to avoid dogmatism. That's one of the keys to avoid dogmatism and and avoid believing your own theories too much. Every theory is just the current theory. It's not the final theory. And we all have to learn that. We should, of course, put our theories out there and, and try to push them to the limits and defend them as, as much as we can. But eventually we know we're going to have to walk away from every theory. Girdle tells us you're going to walk away from every theory.
0: <laughs> it's kind of linked to that the theories have a time frame kind of like um things that worked out for fitness for a while. But here's reality over here. And then, okay, now we're going to take that. That was a piece. Okay, now we're going to move on to the next one. We'll use this one. This one, we don't have to take it as a full account. But reality is still over here. We're kind of, you know, reaching towards there. But uh, these are not, anytime when something is said, this is the way it is, is a great way to preface that in the future, that item will be no longer the exact full solution to that because that's not. Right life's not so rigid and hard hit into a box that we have found ever. We've never had that.
1: Right. And, and so this, so let me say a little about this and, and something that might sound similar to what I've been saying, which is Max Tegmark has an idea of this level four multiverse, right? So, so the idea is something like, um, there's an infinite variety of mathematical structures. And Max takes mathematics is the fundamental reality. So in that sense, there is an infinite variety of universes. And that's that's his level four multiverses, that's all mathematics. And, and there's just an infinite variety of, 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 of universes, because there's an infinite, an endless variety of, of mathematical structures. For, from my point of view, in which consciousness is fundamental. Um, it, it, it is true, there's an endless variety of mathematical structures. But consciousness is the, is what it's about. So the the structures are about consciousness. It's, it's like consciousness is the living organism, and mathematics is the bones. And so 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 it's a different point of view from from Max. I mean, maybe Max is right, and, and maybe there is no consciousness. Maybe it's just mathematics all the way down. But I, I'm pursuing a theory in which mathematics is just the bones, and consciousness this this notion of being and consciousness is is fundamental. And, in which case, um if you ask, me, what's consciousness up to and why? Well, it's it's up to the since mathematics can only be about consciousness, then there's an infinite variety of possibilities for consciousness, because of an infinite variety of mathematics. And so consciousness is about exploring all of its potentialities. And that's what consciousness is, is up to. I mean, that I mean, that's an idea. So so, so I just want to distinguish that point of view from from the level four um, multiverse of, of of Tegmark, which which also acknowledges that there's an infinite variety of mathematical structures, but says that that's the final reality It's all the that that level four multiverse is is all mathematical multiverses.
0: Yeah, this is great book, uh, humans 2.0 or 3.0 or yeah, something. Right, like that. Right. One thing that comes to mind is, because I'm always personality driven. I noticed some traits that are very valuable in reaching out for more. Like I noticed that the individuals you want to most listen to are not the ones that do the, this is the way it is. It's more likely the one that is, well, I don't know about that category, or I'm not certain about this. That is where the, for some reason, all the, not for some reason, but that's where the Meshing with reality appears to be versus the other one is like this is the box of the world that I will uh, work with and I can't look out, out of it because my narrow view is all I can deal with at this time. Are there any um, other personality qualities you would identify with uh, researchers you have seen that, you, uh, that helps them come out with functional ideas or more ability to understand?
1: Well, well, I think that the best researchers have this, have a hard-nosed attitude in which they demand that any theory that they take seriously be rigorous. And, and, and it, they're, not, they're, they're not interested in anything that's not, you know, rigorous. This is not, I'm talking about, the you know, natural sciences and so forth, um, chemistry, physics, and, and, and so forth. And, but, but, in addition to that being hard-nosed even about their own theories and trying to make their theories rigorous, always having a deeper perspective in which they realize that their current best theory can't be the final answer, right? So so that they-, they, they it's Incomplete. It, it, it's always incomplete. So, so being able to live with that tension, to, to understand that on the one hand, you have to be as hard-nosed as, as all get out about your own theory and, and really be precise about it and so forth. And at the same time, realize that that this is not the final answer. You're going to have to probably let go of the whole thing and and, and co- go to a deeper framework. And so to be able to, to do both and, and to be good with it, 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 it's hard to do it when your ego is tied with being right. So if I, if I have to be right, now, of course, you, you want to be right in the sense that you're, you're not making technical mistakes, right? That your mathematics is... But, but so given your assumptions, you, you, once you've set your assumptions, everything you do based on that better be technically correct or, or your stuff is not interesting. But, but the, the problem is that you always have assumptions and they, they can always be questioned and you can always go deeper. And so, so that's the, the attitude, which is to say, okay... Let's go with these assumptions for now. And let's be as hard-nosed with those assumptions as we can. Okay, let's see what that leads to. And we get the insights that we get. Okay, I put all that work into, now the whole edifice may crumble because now let's try different assumptions. <laughs> and so you have to be willing to to, to be the hard-nosed. So it's, it's not a, a, a... It's not... I'll put it this way. Someone might misunderstand what I'm saying here by saying, well, we don't, just don't need to take any scientific theory seriously. There's no theory, right? No, don't take them seriously at all. That, that's not at all the attitude. It's, it's take every scientific theory seriously. Take it, pull as much inside out of it as you can. Be completely rigorous. Do the math, do the experiments and so forth. But then transcend it. And in some sense, until you've taken it seriously, right? Wait, Until we took quantum field theory and gravity really seriously, and really looked at their implications, they couldn't tell us that space-time is doomed. Those theories tell us that space-time is doomed. So that's the, the when when you take the theories seriously, even though they're not the final word, they may be pointers to the next step. In, in, in the pointers, they don't tell you what the next step is going to be, but they tell you what's the limit in the current step that you've taken. And so now you have to go back into being, take a creative leap, and say, okay, what's a, what's an interesting next step to take, and then um, make it rigorous again. So it's not this half-hearted. Well, nothing's going to work anyway. So you know, uh, don't take scientific theories too seriously. Evolution by natural selection, uh, bogus. Even if I think that evolution by natural selection is not the fundamental theory, I love that theory. It's incredibly beautiful. It, it, it's it's incredibly powerful. And evolutionary game theory is a beautiful branch of mathematics. And even if I you know, we eventually succeed in showing that that there, in fundamental reality or, or more fundamental reality beyond space time, there is no competition, there's no limited resources. I still love the evolution of natural selection theory within space time. I think it's a beautiful theory. And if I was going to build political systems, I would use it. I mean, communism is a really nice idea. No you know no ownership, and you know I, I, we all work for everybody else and we share, share. that's great, but in in an evolutionary world where you know we're competing and we have um, egos and and competition and so forth, that we, we just know that doesn't work. It, I would like it to work, um, but it doesn't work within this interface so so evolution of natural selection on the, on the other hand, really I think does work for building political systems with human nature as it is in our current in, interface. <laughs> That's a good way to think about
0: it. And the earlier one, I thought of an image of like branches. Sometimes, let's say you were climbing branches or swinging from them. You might be on one that's super stable, and then you need to jump, and then you go onto one that would break if you held on to it for too long, and then you hang on to another one, for example. uh, The second one was maybe not a branch that was uh, strong enough to support all your weight or any sort of concepts at that time. But it was a necessary step to the next one that was stable enough for some period of time in that way. I
1: like that. That's a, that's a very nice metaphor, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and usually it's the next generation of young people that, that are the the nimble ones that then get to swing to the next branch. So, so we, as a species we can be nimble. It's 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 we most of us don't live long enough to to be nimble from Newton to Einstein to what's beyond space time. We we just don't live that long. So it's this usually the next generation that has to do the. The the nimble, but I, I agree. We should be as nimble as we can in our own lifespan, you know, to use the theories that, of course, in, in science the the bar is pretty high. I mean, how long is it going to take you to understand quantum field theory? Well, how about graduate school? Well, how about <laughs> cognitive neuroscience? Well, how about another you know another PhD? So to really understand these things, right? So so at some point, um, you know, that's it, a nice problem. We we realize that. Um, just, that's the beauty of science. We, we've learned so much that it would take several, many, many lifetimes to get the PhDs in all the fields to understand even what the current state of, of, of it is. So it's, 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 it's incredible.
0: I like that you brought that up earlier, that when you go to schooling for three, four, five years, you're coming up to speed with this high-depth conversation, whereas let's say somebody was going to now be a fan of some sports team, it might take a little bit for people to bring them up to speed on these were their victories and whatnot. But then in science, uh, we have like 18,000 different victories. And there was this time frame, And uh, this is where we're at right now. There's so many little topics. One time my brother mentioned that the PhD is like, here's the circle of human knowledge. And then you pick one really small category and the PhD is like, you extend it this much. Right. And
1: that's, that's it. Right. And that's yeah, it's very humbling. It's just very humbling. Um, and by the way, that's why I think um, popular science journalism is, is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Magazines like Quantum Magazine and and Nautilus and, and so forth, and and, and many others. I'm, I'm I'm just picking the ones that I know, but but they 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 do an incredible job. And and I as a scientist will often get inspiration from other fields by reading these these popular science articles, like from Quantum Magazine and and, and others. And and I find that when they do it right, when when the science journalists do it right, they really help me to see some of the key ideas from other, uh, other fields that may be helpful to me. And then, you know, if I really need to, I, I can then talk with a real professional in that field or, or try to read some of the, of, of the papers myself or listen to some of the lectures. So that, because of the specialization of science and, and how you, you get your own language in each little science, right? You know, like if you're, if you're a physicist, some, and you, someone says, what's a particle? And they say, well, it's, a, it's an irreducible representation of the Poincare group. Well, what do they just say it's going to take you quite a bit of time just to understand what that sentence was it's, it's going to take you a class you need to take a, a few graduate classes to understand what that sentence even means and that's just what a particle is now now you, you go on from there so so when you have that kind of of you know the progress in science science which is fantastic people who are from different fields really do need to get the insights from the other fields and so science journalists i think I take my hat off to them, they really do an important job um, connecting scientists from different fields, and uh, and also scientists to, to people who are not scientists who just want to understand the insights that the sciences are providing. That one takes me to this will be my last
0: question. And in relation to the combination of fields, I always like the Santa Fe Institute and multidisciplinary locations where economists and biologists and physicists all combine. How has that impacted your theories? Has there been any uh, key fields that you pulled from outside of your own that helps to uh, bring you to the theories that you're
1: currently at? Well, that's that's been the trick is that the, the stuff that I'm doing is so multidisciplinary. There's no way for me to be a professional level expert in, in, in all the fields. So it's using evolution by natural selection then there's the the neurobiology of, of of vision science, so visual neurobiology, which is a whole field by itself. There's all the mathematics of of um, um, Markovian dynamics. That that's that's a whole mathematical field by itself. Um, then there's all the physics when I'm trying to boot up a theory of. of space time from from a theory of consciousness so you have to so there's just no way that that you can do it by yourself so you really do have to collaborate um and work with people that you trust um and learn as much as you can to make you know to make sure that you can contribute and and that the ideas make sense but so i myself have had to really pull i mean from a wide range of of disciplines and try to think creatively even knowing that i'm not expert in some of those fields right I mean, I just there's just no way that someone could be an expert in, in in all all the fields that are required and so that's that's the, the ch- one of the challenges of, of really multidisciplinary research you can only be truly an expert in one or two areas tr- a true expert um at least with mo- with my level of abilities I, I i've known a few people who might be able to do it in three or four but but it's, it's, it's rare to be a, a true expert in, in that many fields, and then you have to have enough competence that you understand the big ideas and how you might be able to apply them from these other, other fields. And, and so, it's it, you have to be willing. To, it's humbling because you know you, you can't be an expert in everything. And so, so you have to you know come with, you know, outstretched hands for help um, from from colleagues in other disciplines when you're trying to solve a big multidisciplinary problem, and you have to be ready to be told that some of your basic ideas are just misconceptions and that you have to rethink things. So, 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 but that's part of the whole fun. You, know, you learn a lot in the process and, and it, it can be humbling.
0: This is a valid point. I will cut off my questions there, but I will ask at as the closing, what is one takeaway you would want people uh, to bring from your most recent book? What is something they can take from this to apply to their existence if there was oh, f- to their daily existence yes
1: uh, oh well i would i would say this um what the book suggests is try this thought experiment for yourself imagine that you have a vr headset on just go through life i'm in a game see see what that feels like because that's what evolution of natural selection is telling us is that this is just a headset so actually it's, it's like a person that's in a, a video game that's gotten lost in grand theft auto right you can wake up and go oh wait 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 i i i'm not in the game let let, let me just in let me just look this is the game let me let me look around and try that out in everyday life and see what it's like because that's what evolution of natural selection is saying that this is that the, there's something beyond the headset Um, it doesn't tell us what it is. There's something about, so this is just, uh, space and time is just a game, including the billions of light years of space time itself. It's all part of, of the game. Just feel what it's like to say, I'm just this. I'm just, whatever I am, I'm not in space and time. I've got a headset. So, so whatever I am, evolution is not telling you what you are, but whatever, whatever you are, you're not inside space time. So whatever this says, I am, I'm just going to be that. And now I'm looking around. And this is just a VR game. I think, by the way, in twenty years, what I'm saying will just be for the next generation. We'll be like, that's boring. Of course, I mean, I spend eight hours a day in the metaverse. It's just no. It's a, a no-brainer when I take the, my headset off to know that this is probably just a headset too. But for my generation, this is this is a real, you know, brain stretcher, right? To think of this. But but I think in twenty years, this will be like, yeah, so what? Yeah, that's just boring. I that's of course. <laughs>
0: I'm highly glad I added that in. That is gold right there. And I kind of I embody some of what you just described. It's a big part of my existence and what has made it, I think, great in a lot of elements. What a powerful thing. It is fun cool. for that one. <laughs> it, is, I like that. it is fun. That's true. On this one, I would like to say, Professor Donald Hoffman, I am glad to have had you on the show. This discussion has been wonderful for me. And I've realized that in the relatedness aspect, then it translates also to the audience, because I'm a representation of what my audience would be more inclined towards. So when I am fond of things now, I realize that that's a key element. So I'm very glad to have spoken with you here, maybe on again in the future. But at this time, thank you for joining on
1: this episode of the Armin Show podcast. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And we are out.